Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Kirk Franklin. We're going to talk about four things Jesus never said and also the danger of looking for community. This is The Common Good. Everyone, welcome to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with my co-host. What did you call me in the first month? Sidekick. I did call you, you sidekick. Oh, my side. That felt a little demeaning. <laughs> Do you know why I felt that way? Because it was. Because it was. <laughs> that was my power play. Like, hey, we're starting this show. I'm on top. That was your power play. That was truly a sustained power play, Brian. <laughs> That's really funny. Like, what's your uh, sidekick? Sidekick. Hey, no. Yeah, we were so nervous that first month, probably yeah. that first six months, to be honest, just trying to keep our. I had all these things printed out about how to get in and out of seconds. That's right. And what not to say. We were talking about that other day. All the all the paperwork we used to have oh and all the notes we gosh. used to have. Oh my gosh. I would just like lose sleep thinking about how am I, so how do I get into a segment again? <laughs> what do exactly what am I What am I, I not supposed to say? I'm not supposed to say when we come back Yes. or uh, probably the word segment. Yes. <laughs> I think we're break. Also, Remember break we were told? Break was one. Yeah. What were some of the other things we weren't supposed to say? Uh, stick around. Stick around. Positive and encouraging. <laughs> And yet we do regularly. Uh, all right. So I mentioned it just a second ago. No, I should give the information first, shouldn't I? You yeah, go for the find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles and you can interact there. It's a really, really cool growing Facebook community there that's interacting with our stuff. If you want to send us a message with an idea or suggestion for a guest or an article, you can also uh, review the Facebook page. That helps us out a lot. You can also find out more at 1160hope.com slash the common good. And wherever it is you get podcasts, if you wouldn't mind, a little subscribe rate review does really help us out a whole lot. Maybe, maybe even give an early birthday present to Brian and share it. Yes. How early would that birthday present be? Uh, we're about two months out from my birthday. So pretty so early. Feels like you should, all, you should all be preparing right now. <laughs> You're thinking about it right now. I was going to say, you seem perfectly good. Yeah, two months yeah. is good enough. It feels like a good lead, a good lead up to my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's here's the article that I found. The headline... And Kirk Franklin, we talked about him a couple times mm-hmm. over the last few months. So this is from him. He says, Kumbaya moments are not enough for better race relations. So apparently uh, he was on a show called Praise uh, on TBN's network in a conversation with the network president, Matt Crouch, and Dallas pastors Tony Evans and Robert Morris. Um, the talk has not actually aired yet, but part of what he was talking about in this conversation was that Christian leaders need to move beyond just kumbaya moments to actually speak from the pulpit when black people are the subjects of social injustice happening in the streets. So he's, he's sort of like calling leaders to task. Like, Hey, these hold hand moments are nice and it's maybe a step in the right direction. Um, but we have to do, we have to do more. So he actually has posted a couple of, uh, Instagram videos and I want to play about a minute of his most recent one. And then, uh, and then we'll get some reactions. Several months ago, I sat in the same seat to share with you uh, a decision that I made regarding um, the Dove Awards and the TBN Network. When that speech aired on the Christian Network TBN, that part of my speech was edited out. I want to let you know this week a conversation took place that was long overdue. I want to know the conversation that needs to happen. If I'm ignorant, would you help me? The conversation was race and the church. It was a painful but necessary conversation. And I think you're going to want to see this. I believe that black and brown people in this country continuously feel like they're edited out. What I realized was I'm ignorant 
of this issue. Find your racial pride first in Jesus Christ, not first in the culture. I am looking forward to you experiencing this moment with me. Get ready. All right, so this isn't the first time we've talked about Kirk Franklin Mm-mm. and some of his uh, some of his remarks, some of his perspective, and the the show obviously hasn't aired yet. Looks like it's going to air on uh, Thursday, March twelfth. Okay, this on the, Thursday on the network. Yeah, so is that this Thursday. Oof, boy, I gotta sleep more. Um, <laughs> so that was clearly like a a promo for this conversation. Right. But I'm I'm curious, just based on what you heard, what stood out to you, what do you think they got right, what are you worried about, anything in between. Ah, oh, it's interesting. I I think uh, Kirk Franklin was clearly hurt. Uh, we played the audio a couple uh, now it's a couple months ago, leading up to the Dove Awards and uh, the whole concept of being edited out. And um, I think what's interesting about this conversation is uh, it's uh, the president of TBN and Robert Morris, who are both uh, white, Tony yeah. Evans, um, Kirk Franklin, and there's a point they talk about in here where. The president of TBN comes in and gives Kirk Franklin a hug, and they, they kind of have this moment, and that's where Kirk Franklin kind of says, hey, I do want to to clarify this embrace comes after a lot of off-camera discussion. Yeah, right. And he wants to make sure that we're not just having this kumbaya moment where everything's fine and whatever. And I think that's the important point to me here. Like, it, when you hear a promo for a TV show, your kind of thought is like, really? We just turned this into a TV segment? Like. Huh. Uh, the the whole uh, we did the a uh, ton of work off air to kind of talk this through. I think is the important point because I know a lot of people uh, just don't want to talk about race relations and differences and try to bridge that gap and understand people uh, because it takes a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of work. But I do believe the church needs to be at the forefront of that. Um, and so good for these guys who are having this conversation and it doesn't make everything all better. And Kirk Franklin was very clear to say that. Right. Um, but it sounds like some work was done. And, and I think that sets a good example for the many people who are going to watch this. Well, and what he says at the beginning of the show, and we have some uh, some quotes here, even though it hasn't aired yet, where he said, this is not a conversation of me attempting to make white people feel bad for being white. And I, I yep. appreciate the wisdom in saying that because it does feel like sometimes – uh, white people get particularly skittish mm-hmm. because they're like, hey, are you just trying to make me feel guilty for the color of my skin that I was born? And I appreciate him at the beginning saying, hey, this is not an attempt to make you feel guilty for being white, but to also elevate the conversation. And I, I appreciate even in that in that uh, that clip, that promo where people that are part of this conversation are just outright saying, I, yeah, I've been ignorant to this issue. Yeah. Like that is the beginning of healing and growth. Yes. You, you don't have to walk away agreeing at every point of doctrine, but at least to just simply say, okay, yeah, this is new information to me, or yeah. I have not had a posture of learning or receptivity to this, or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that when we're having conversations that make us uncomfortable or conversations about someone else's experience that maybe isn't our own, yeah. to assume a posture of a learner and say, okay, I feel inclined to get defensive. Yes. I can feel maybe my temperature rising a little bit. I'm going to intentionally curb that in order to listen to my brother, in order yeah. to listen to my sister. And I think we have to start there if we actually want to make any headway in this Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's some gravitas added for me. When, yeah, I got Tony Evans in here telling stories about right. trying to go to seminary way back in the day. And, uh, yeah, I think you put it well, man. I think the ability for all of us uh, to have conversations and a posture of humility uh, in front of people who may not look like us, act like us, or – 
you know, have grown up the same way. I think the ability to go, okay, we're all creating the image of God. Let me have this conversation and try to move this ball forward, not for the entire culture, but for maybe my church culture or maybe just me right. uh, having that. I think it does take a posture of humility when it's all about defensiveness and this and that. I think that's when things get off the rails. But, but totally agree. this looks like it was, a, it was a humble conversation, and I look forward to seeing what more came out of it. And I, and I think he's spot on, too. I think um, this next generation in particular is – disinterested in kumbaya moments. They want to drill deeper. They want to talk about some of the systemic issues. And I hope this is the beginning of a lot of really helpful, healthy conversations around this topic. All right, well, coming up next, uh, here's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, We've been talking a lot about OK Boomer stuff. Today, let's talk about uh, OK Millennial. The church is still about Jesus. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us, if you want, on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Also at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Podcast it if you want. Yes, we are. Brian, can they uh, ask Alexa? Is that a thing they can do? <laughs> if I recall, I didn't ask yesterday. I was trying to I was trying to let you bring Tonight's it up. Tonight's tonight. You said on Friday. I've said I, every day no, for the last two Here's months. what was different about Friday and why our people are going to lose faith in us. You promised them. I you did. said, and I promise. Oh, I that promise was, that was an unwise move on my part. <laughs> I like how your remorse is not in not doing it, but in saying the word <laughs> promise. It's not the... I can, sh- is there any way I can sell this as like this has become like a shtick? No. Because it's not. It's, we both know it's not. But is there a way I could sell it as that? It's not only we both know, everyone listening knows. Yes. That's true. Sorry out there. <laughs> Sorry, listening land, who's just waiting for me to tell you. It's literally the only thing that you could do with I, arms full of groceries I, and your face on fire. I, you could still... I don't want my face on fire, but I also fall at the mercy of the court on this one. I, I have no excuses. I there's, have n- had, there's not a court in the world that would hear your case, Brian. I have, from. I have had no excuses. I will have no excuses. I just beg for the mercy of the court here. Well, don't. Less, less begging. I'm going to go home and ask Alexa for mercy today and see what she says. You're going to ask her, but not for the thing you've been saying. Oh, boy. I have thoughts. Uh, We'll get to them later. Your thoughts. We should dedicate a whole segment to talking about this. I'm going to like create a whole... You know what really grinds your ears. (laughs) It'll be like a whole... I'm just going to do a segment on like breaking promises and just see if you notice like the subtle Alexa language that I weave through. Like I have this friend Alexis. It does tell you how how infrequently in our house I use Alexa. <laughs> yeah, that that's is true. true. If that is one takeaway, that is for certain. Uh, all right, so there's a, a hashtag that I don't think is trending necessarily as much anymore, but a lot of people have been using this phrase, okay, boomer. Yep. And uh, has it been said to you by your kids or by... Yes. Even though I'm not a boomer, my kids love to say it to and me. And what is it, just for someone listening that doesn't understand or doesn't hasn't heard it, what, what are they saying when someone says, okay, boomer? Uh, you're old. <laughs> and it's not a term of like endearment. It's like you're old and you can't understand and like that the boomer generation wants to tell people how to do it and the concept uh, is the younger generation going, okay, boomer, like you right. don't get it. You don't get how the world works now. It's sort, kind of, sort of an eye roll kind of a thing. It's like, yeah, yes. okay, yes. calm down. Okay. So, yeah, so my, kids say it, my kids say it in a joking manner to me because, right, right, of right. course, I'm not a boomer. Right. But there's that old <laughs> helpful say, saying that there's truth in every joke. And there's a, 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 that's. You're there, an, an extra, an though, aren't you? 
You're squarely an Xer, I think. I'm pretty, yes, 1977, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I see, by some definitions, I'm also an Xer. I'm close. You're, uh, yeah, you're kind of back and forth there. But Xers tend to be sort of jaded, right? They're kind of... I feel like I feel like I connect with those people. <laughs> those are my people. Anyway, that's not really what we're talking like about. Increasing in jadedness, but yeah. you know. Uh, all right, so here's an article out of Pathos. It says, "Okay, millennial church is still about Jesus." What's going on here? So this is all. You and I did two articles last week about the first one was Tony Morgan saying ten oh, signs yeah, your right. weekend services aren't designed for the next generation. And then there was a Pathos article, I believe, basically pushing back, going, this article is ridiculous. It was written by a millennial. He's like, that's not actually what we're yeah, about millennials. For. Right. And, uh, and then this is another one at Pathos that is kind of in response. Uh, it looks like in response all the way back to the Tony Morgan right. article. So <laughs> right. the Tony Morgan one is, as um, I would say, has lit a fuse with some people <laughs> uh, with the whole concept. Remember, you and you and I had... Um, we had some positive things to say about his stuff there, but some not so positive because yeah. the concept was uh, if you want to reach the quote unquote next generation, you've got to start doing some very tangible right. things with your service. Uh, some of them like don't even tell them to open up their Bibles, but instead, you know, uh, click on their phone app, turn on your Bible is a better way of saying it. Volume of music you shouldn't be concerned about. Don't pass the offering plate. Uh, and so a bunch of these uh, were then knocked down by that next person. And the biggest one that, that kind of set that person off was the Instagram one. Like, uh-huh. make sure that in your service there are Instagrammable moments. Right. And this person said, it's at this place. I, it's at this point I went to check if this was satire. Right. Uh, right. And so you and I talked about this twice last week. But Ann Kennedy, the author here, uh, is kind of now talking to the millennials, I think, about about church and church still being about Jesus. Yeah. Well, I think this is an interesting conversation. And you mentioned it kind of lighting a fuse. It's curious to me that this, of all things, seems to be something in our very, very small little pastoral universe. Um out of all the issues, out of all the things that people are talking about, I mean, even like with with Abby Robert yesterday, you know, talking about human trafficking and how much of a an issue it is even yeah. out here in the western suburbs of Chicago. It's interesting to me that like these intergenerational debates um, have seemed to be intensifying, and I don't know if that's because of technology or in spite of technology or like, do you find that we're actually having better intergenerational conversations in churches or? Are articles like this more like hot takes and mic drops? And it feels like, oh, gosh, we're just getting meaner to each other. I don't know. Like, I'm not totally in one camp or the other necessarily. Even, like, in terms of my age, I'm sort of on this Xer millennial. uh, I'm kind of straddling the fence on that a little bit. So I'm I'm curious just in general. Like, do you feel like this is something that the church is getting better at? Or do we, like, really need to wake up to some of these tensions? Uh, I think I am going with yes and yes on this. I think some churches are getting better at this. Here's what I, anecdotally, I would say, uh, I think I mentioned this last week. I was in a group uh, the other day at our church trying to plan some stuff, and it was made up mostly of people who were younger than me. Hmm. And one of their driving desires that was expressed was, I want to be in settings that are intergenerational. Yeah, right. And I found that really encouraging. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is the younger generation that gets caricatured as going, ah, okay, boomer. Like, I want nothing. Right, right. They were the ones saying, I want to be in intergenerational settings to learn and to get to know. I don't like being segmented. So when I hear those things, I get encouraged. Hmm. I do think that there are some increasing chasms between the generations due to technology, right. due to 
a lot of different things that are getting harder and harder to bridge that I think, you know, the daily life of a 25 year old and maybe a 55 year old have less in common than even they did when we were 25. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it does take more work and there's more work to be done. But I do think that at a very base level, uh, what I hear, especially from the younger generation, is no, we want to have we don't want just other 25 year olds in our life. And so hmm. I do think a little bit of the ball is in the court of the 45, 50, 55 year olds going. Do you want that as well? Hmm. And I think that there certainly are some churches that are doing this really well. Yeah, I, I, I think the question that I have and you mentioned it earlier about the Instagram one really being the one that in all of these references has sort of been this. They've brought similar levels of heat, I guess. Yeah. Why do you think that is when you talk about like even even part of what she says, she talks about um, the goal isn't to be captivated. Right. The goal is to adore the living God. Mm -hmm. And I even catch myself sometimes when we're talking about a service after the fact. We'll talk about like, did people seem engaged? Do they don't feel like bad things Mm -hmm. to you to ask about? But are there better metrics than like were people engaged? That's a really good question because engagement really is a good metric. Like, I don't think it's a it's a this is necessarily a good or a bad. The question is, is it the best metric? I think you're asking. Or should it be the first metric? Yeah, be the first metric because it is a difficult thing to measure going were people engaged uh, with Jesus. Right. Were they were people. But how do you measure that? Exactly. You know. Exactly. And so I think there is some work to be done because the whole Instagrammable one, like I think it left everyone going. Really, like one of my top aims is for, you know, a millennial to be able to go, hey, I was here at church and my pastor did this. And that feel I think to all of us that feels like I don't want that. Right. How to measure the things that really matter, I think, are really difficult, though. And I think what you're saying, too, is important because we'll often reduce, you know, the great commandment down to love God, love others, love Uh your neighbor. Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways, one of the main vehicles by which we love God is how we love our neighbor. So maybe that's part of the it's not just about like me and God. It's also like, hey, how do you love the people in your community, regardless of their skin color or their mm-hmm. denomination or their generation? Or I just think all of those things is is as important to worship as almost anything else yep. that we do. Yep. And uh, I'm challenged. I'm challenged. Maybe this will be a conversation we continue to have as it progresses. Well, coming up next, here's the headline, Four Things Jesus Never Said. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. What song is that? I don't have the first idea. Do you think John knows? Sure. Let's ask him. I feel like we haven't heard from John in a while. PJ? Hi, guys. <laughs> what song are we listening to right now? This is uh, it's an Of Monsters and Men song called Dirty Paws. I think this is from the, uh, uh, well, the Walter Mitty movie, isn't it? I think that this is in that movie, yes, but there, I think it's the same album as Little Talks. Oh, I think you're right. Uh, my head is an animal. That's the nail. Yes. I could, I could literally turn my microphone off right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Super hipster music, yes. Did you ever see the, do you remember when Jimmy Kimmel used to do the Lie Witness News yes. segment? Yes. Do you know what this is? No. Yeah. They no go on the streets and they- No, he uh, went to Coachella. So that's what I was going to talk okay, about. Okay, the, the Coachella one is, oh. uh, it's a it's a recurring bit that he does, so he has someone with, uh, like, Reporting gear, and they're asking people that are already at Coachella, which is, you know, the epicenter of like hipster okay. music fandom, and they will ask them if they're excited to see a band that they're making up on the spot. So, like, hey, are you excited to see blah, 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 blah? And the people are always like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited for their, I saw their Tiny Desk performance on NPR, and they'll like, <laughs> they'll go and go and go. Although, 
That's okay. awesome. One time, they mentioned Two Door Cinema Club, which is an actual band. And the guy was like, yeah, dude, I used to spin them all the time. People are laughing. I'm like, dude, that's actually a oh, really, really good band. <laughs> so sometimes they sneak actual bands. In Interesting. Yeah. Do you think I would enjoy Coachella? Uh, I think you might like it more than you think you would. It's So you're, you're just, it's like the... Non-Christian Creation Festival is what. <laughs> oh gosh, that's just the worst description I've ever. I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm the Non-Christian Creation Fest, which I went to a couple times when I was in high school. <laughs> you mean Louis Giglio isn't there? <laughs> I'm going to start describing like mainline bands as the non-Christian version of. You heard Limp Biscuit? They're the non-Christian Pax Two One Seven. These are some deep cuts, by the way. This is. Not at all That's what we're supposed to be talking about, but I, li- I like this detour uh, a whole lot. Uh, all right, so I mentioned it earlier. Here's what we're going to talk about. So you like Katy Perry? I'm, no, no, no. I'm getting us back. You, have I told you about Amy Grant? <laughs> Brian, that ended 40 seconds ago. <laughs> no, we're going to keep going. Oh, boy. I'm ready. No, keep going. What do you want? No, no, I'm ready for this article. Oh, now you want to do the article. I do. I got my Amy Grant joke out. Cute. <laughs> and the world is better for it. Uh, four things Jesus never said. This, this is going to be fun and probably get us in some trouble. Mm-hmm. But first, though, I want to talk to you about Thrivent. Thrivent Financial is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit serving members for over 100 years. And so if you're listening and maybe you're involved in the financial world in some capacity or you have kind of an entrepreneurial drive or honestly you just want to be your own boss and you want to come alongside other people and help them with their wise with money journey uh, I really want to encourage you to visit thrivent.com slash careers that's thrivent.com slash careers or you can call 630-598-2128 that's 630-598-2128 and you're not signing on any dotted line just call I think you might be really surprised, actually, at the kind of good work that Thriving does, because uh, if that in any way is you, that's a spark, you're listening, you're driving in your car, you're thinking, I could I could use a change. This uh, this might be the right change for you. And when you do, just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. All right, let's talk about it. Four things Jesus never said. What is the first one here? Yep. If you had more faith, God would answer your prayer. Jesus didn't say that? No, there was a, that goes on to say, this is written by Michael Hidalgo at Relevant Magazine. There was a man who had a son who suffered from convulsions and was unable to speak. The father brought his son to Jesus for healing and said, if you can do anything, help. Jesus replied to the father, if you can, everything is possible for anyone who believes. The father then said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What happens next is interesting. Jesus does not say, I'm sorry, I'd love to help you, but you need more faith before I can do anything. Not at all. Rather, he heals the boy in the midst of the father's struggles to believe. Uh, We cannot forget the Bible is the story of God's work, renewal, faithfulness, and redemption in the midst of unfaithfulness of humanity. He does not demand we believe and trust so he can work. He works and invites us uh, to believe oh, and that's trust. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, number two of uh, four things she just never said, doubting is dangerous. Did Jesus say stop doubting? Yes. Is there more to the story? Yes. Of all the disciples, the only one who has an enduring nickname is Thomas, a.k.a. Doubting Thomas. We have traditionally thrown him under the bus for doubting, uh, for doubting that Jesus rose from the dead and uh, condescendingly shake our heads at his resistance to believe. But let's not forget, he's not the only one who did not believe. When the disciples first hear of Jesus' resurrection from the women who went to Jesus' tomb, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. That's from Luke 24. All the disciples doubted, but Thomas was the only one with the courage to admit he needed 
needed proof. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's from John 20. Mm. And when Jesus finally encounters Thomas, he did not rebuke him. Rather, he gave Thomas what he needed. He invited Thomas to touch his wounds, and only then did Jesus tell him that he could stop doubting. This, uh, The beauty of this is Thomas had an encounter with Jesus that none of the other disciples did. He is the only one who touched the wounds of Jesus because he had the faith to doubt. Nowhere does Jesus condemn doubt. Rather, he meets people right where they are in it. That's pretty mm, good. That's good. The next one, uh, this made uh, this might blow some people's minds here. <laughs> here, uh, the four things Jesus never said. Three, th- number three, here is how you can get to heaven. Wait a minute. What? What's remarkable about Jesus is how little he talked about what happens to us when we die. He was far more concerned with what happens to us while we live here and now. I say this because Jesus commented very little on heaven as a place somewhere out there we can go when we die. Oh, boy. However, Jesus talked nonstop about our life here and now. Make no mistake. Jesus proclaimed the gospel and the good news about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But his desires was to see this kingdom come to earth. By comparison, we speak about the gospel being how we can leave earth to get to heaven and have eternal life after we die, which raises a question. Why does our gospel get us ready to die while the gospel of Jesus gets us ready to live? Hmm. Perhaps we should listen closely to the words of Jesus and move from being consumed with where we will go when we die to being consumed with how we live here and now. How would that change not only us, but also our world? Yeah, we're going to get some letters for that one. That's a, that's a big one. That's a really good one. All right, so last but not least, in four things Jesus never said, there will always be poor people among you, period. And the author says, I have a T-shirt that has the words end poverty on the back. Several times when I have worn the shirt, I've had people say dismissively, Jesus said the poor you will always have with you, always. True, he did say that, but that's not all he said. According to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, Mark fourteen seven. Uh, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 15 where God told his people there need, there need be no poor among you for in the land the Lord your God is giving you, he will richly bless you. That's Deuteronomy fifteen four. God told his people there is no good reason for poverty to exist. But God seemed to know how we operate. So he said, if anyone is poor among you, your people in any of the towns, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. And uh, then he goes on, there will always be poor in the land. Be open-handed toward those of your people who are poor and needy in your land. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. If anything, Jesus's quote about the poor is a challenge to be generous, lending freely and open-handed toward them. Jesus certainly had a lot to say. It's no wonder he is often misquoted. However, when we take the time to truly hear what he has to say to us, we will both be comforted and challenged by his words. And when we truly hear him, he will have we will have much more to rethink. Mm. What do you think of that? I think this is great. And uh, the, the list could be much longer than four. Yeah, right? for sure. We often put things on Jesus that he never said. Any and, come to mind? Um you know the 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 funny one that it's not so funny as well you know people will always say the bible never says uh, god only helps those who help themselves right. and things like that or everything happens for a reason right or, right yeah. um and and this gets back to yesterday right about doing the work of knowing the bible and reading the bible and um you know not 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 putting on top of jesus and the gospel and his words uh what we want him to say and and so i think this is a this is a uh, a challenging reminder 
Yeah, at the very least, I yeah. think so. And maybe yeah. that's something that uh, we'd love to know what ones you would add. That's on our Facebook page. Are there statements that you want to push back on? Maybe this author's take or perspective or angle. What are some things maybe that you've heard others say Jesus said that you did your, your own research and realized? I don't think Jesus actually said that. You can find all of that on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. And coming up next, here's the headline, The Folly of, quote, Looking for Community. Mm. That's an article out of the Gospel Coalition. Coming up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, and wherever it is you get podcasts. That music you're listening to is not Andrew Peterson, but... You will get a chance to hear Andrew Peterson mm. coming up in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, AM1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. What was the first stop? First stop. Oh, cool. So you're going to get his best. <laughs> his best. He'll be freshest. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Tickets start at just $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That is 1160hope.com. I've not, I haven't heard anyone say the full question and answer in a long time. It's, it's always Q&A. Q&A. It's written as question and answer. Let me look at it again. <laughs> nope, it is written as q and I went question and answer. Somebody out there be like, what's this Q&A thing you speak uh, of? I mean, I appreciate you keeping that demographic in mind, the person that doesn't know what a Q&A is. <laughs> I'm going to need to spell this out for them. This is, this is important information. I, my people, you know, <laughs> my I, people. I am sorry that I said VIP. I could have I come out with that full one, too, but... You should read it next time as a, there'll be a yes. very important person <laughs> to meet and greet, followed by a question and answer session. <laughs> Just spell out everything. Uh, I don't know what else we could do. All right. So uh, I teed it up a little bit earlier. The folly of looking for community, which is a, a little bit of a controversial headline because I feel like looking for community is like one of the main premises that a lot of churches advertise in general, right? Yes. Like looking for community, looking for family, looking to belong. These are all things that we use. You and I both have uh, the word community in That's our right. church titles. It's something that we care deeply about. And it's the it's one of the main things that we keep coming back to, uh, regardless of the topic. We'll often say, man, if you're doubting, doubt in community. Yeah. If you're struggling, struggle in community. Uh, it's a, it's a thing that we collectively, you and I both will point to a lot. So Absolutely. I'm curious, what do you think about this article and some of the folly in looking for community? So I think when they describe what they're talking about, it makes much more sense. He said, uh, when I ask newcomers, what brings them to our church? The most common reply is I'm looking for community. Right. I hear that all the time. Right. He says, I often wince hearing that phrase, fearing they won't stay for long. It's not that desiring community is a bad thing. The problem is the assumption that community is found like stumbling upon a hidden treasure. Uh, One cannot find community because it isn't something to be discovered. Community is never found. It is only built. So there's the premise. Okay. It's we go into, say, take a church, for instance, when someone says they're looking for community, uh, his premise is 
uh, if they're coming there looking for this magic community to just appear, right. they're going to move on to the next place because that doesn't exist anywhere. And his point is that tech, uh, community is not something you just find or stumble upon, but it's something that takes work and time and energy and that is built. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about in our Facebook, Instagram uh, days that... Uh, they're, they're marketed as tools to help us connect with others. Yet in the process, these technologies are reshaping our notions of connection huh. and community. Interesting. It's a sad irony that in the social media age, more and more people report feeling lonely. We've talked about this, uh-huh. even as we're more connected. So what gives to that? And his point is... Uh, we treat community, he says on later, like a stop at Chipotle. I love Chipotle. I <laughs> do uh, love Chipotle. You can curate your community just like your burrito down to your exact preference. Oh, in turn, our nation and churches have become more polarized and tribal than ever before. So this article is going to go on to what are four steps to actually building community. But it's first started from the premise of community is not something you stumble into. It's yeah. not something you find that true community is going to take some work and some building. Well, before we get to that list, too, I like what he says here. He says, turning community into a consumer commodity has also led to what the New York Times columnist David Brooks has dubbed the golden age of bailing. Mm. If community is, quote, found, it is just as easily left. Technology makes it all so easy, Brooks uh, observes. You can just pull out your phone uh, and bailing on the rendezvous is as easy as canceling an Uber driver. The trend is also present in our churches. Church hopping is a common term within American church vernacular. I know of a pastor who was guest speaking at another church's retreat and was surprised to see in the audience someone who had just gone through the membership class at his own church. I've seen in my pastoral ministry how quickly people bail at the first disappointment or disagreement. And when I follow up with the pastor of the next church they tried, it's no surprise to learn they also bailed there. Fascinating. So so these steps that he offers are under the heading, build, don't shop. When we try Mm -hmm. to, quote, find a church community, we only treat the church as a consumer. We look for the perfect fit and bail at the first sign of discomfort. We avoid the depth needed to truly transform and sustain our souls. We need to stop thinking like shoppers and more like builders. Before we get into the list, I will add one caveat. Mm -hmm. There are appropriate times to leave churches. Agreed. There are certainly things, there are disagreements or behaviors bad enough or extreme enough. I'm, so just to make it clear, we're not Agreed. saying it's never appropriate to say, mm, this isn't a good time, but this isn't a good fit for my family and I. So what are the three steps that he gives? Yeah, number one, don't be an architect. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Man, that Bonhoeffer. Many of us choose to be architects rather than builders of our communities, dreaming up an ideal church rather than committing to a real church. Yet the more we clutch our own blueprints rather than embrace the people God has placed in front of us, the more grief we will bring to ourselves and to them. Brett McCracken puts it this way. Uh, However challenging it may be to embrace, God's idea of church is far more glorious than any dream church uh, we could conjure. Man, that's good. All right, number two, building requires friction, not comfort. Oh, boy. (laughs) You love friction. (laughs) Consumers approach, uh, consumer approach to finding community naturally favor the easiest and smoothest route. If community is something you choose, naturally you choose one that will make your life simpler, not more complex. It is only through effort, sweat, and tears that anything worthy is built, community included. The New Testament epistles are filled with imperatives to care, love, and forgive one another. Any genuine 
and lasting community will have to work through conflict. Don't avoid conflict. Use it to make the community even stronger. When we bail at the first offense, we lose an opportunity to reconcile and glorify God in the process of forming a beautiful, unlikely, gospel-shaped family. Hmm, Number three, build on the foundation of Christ. We are desperate to find community in hopes that we will uh, fill some empty part of our souls. Yet no community, even the church, can be our ultimate source of life. Hmm. Rather, the church exists to remind us where the fountain of life can be truly found. As Paul writes in Ephesians two nineteen to 20, uh, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And the article ends, let's not look to find a community that fits our plans, but to build the household of God's God according to to his. I, this is uh, well-written, I think. I think it's really challenging, too, and part of what he was talking about, the role of technology, where historically, you know, 50 years ago, community was mostly geographically dictated, right. which meant you were sort of stuck in community, and that, I think, forced you to interact right. with people that are like, I don't know that I would otherwise, like, now everything's so curated that I can find, quote, digital community yeah. based on, like, a very specific style of music or we really you know subscribe I want to be in a church with this many people or that many people right or this particular narrow brand of theology all of those things and not I'm not saying any of that is necessarily bad but it feels like the level of choice that we have now has almost perpetuated what he's saying like I want to perfectly curate exactly it's like how we you know like like the temperature in my house is like I vary one or two degrees Mm. you know 100 years ago we're like oh we need to put some some yeah. some more wood in the fire to yeah. warm it up or cool it down. Now it's like, ooh, I need it to be exactly 71 degrees. You know, yep. like there's a yep. specificity almost that I think is part of what he's kind of picking at. Absolutely. Here. So this is challenging. We'd encourage you to read it at our Facebook page because as pastors, I think we get this. Like we run into these struggles. And yeah, like you said very well before, there are times to leave a church. Uh, But this whole concept of finding community, I think if we started talking about it as building community, I think we'd find a much richer experience. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, that is the first hour in the books. We hope you'll stick around for the second hour. We're going to talk about some bikers and something they did to child victims. We're also talking about parents and your kids theology and a whole lot other things. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about Iran. We're going to talk about some bikers doing a pretty fascinating thing. And parents, what does it look like to have big theology with your kids? This is The Common Good.
Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get fine podcasts. I'm also told you can just ask Alexa. Is that right? I have an update. <laughs> I have an update and you are going to think this is so funny. What is the, is so the update first, that you did it? I called my daughter down last night. I'm like, Emily, I need sure. you to do something for me. <laughs> And so she was all ready for it. She comes down. We find out Alexa's dead. Like, Alexa hasn't plugged in long enough here. Alexa's dead's a little dramatic. Okay. Jeez, so, so we we plug it in, We plug her in. Are, that, are we supposed to refer to Alexa as her? We plug her in. And uh, and then my wife comes down and she says, what am I supposed to say? And I go, I say, Alexa, uh, play the Common Good radio show podcast. And she says it. You know what it said? What? Uh Cannot play because explicit uh, explicit content blocker is on. What? <laughs> yes. So apparently we have an issue in our settings at our Alexa. Oh, golly. <laughs> See, if you had done this two months ago, we could have gotten out in front of this. <laughs> My daughter's like, what is the explicit uh, this? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe it's our uh, outright religiosity there is other ways around it no apparently we have some weird settings on our alexa at the moment which are fine so oh on the alexa not on the podcast no no this was an alexa issue it's saying i can't play that because you've set up some settings or something yeah maybe alexa really doesn't like like jesus so uh you know i did not succeed but i did uh move the ball forward you did move the ball forward with the help of my child small victories uh all right so i got a couple articles here Mm -hmm. in the uh, top of the hour i want to talk about um one of the things that we try to intentionally do because we are a chicago show we try to really focus on uh stuff right here in our own backyard also stuff in the united states but we also want to make sure that we're when we can or when is appropriate um talk about the global church what's happening you know this is just a small little piece of the universe right here in chicago land and there's a there's a big wide world and a lot of stuff is going on and so i, f- I found a couple of articles that i thought were pretty interesting uh, the first is uh, about some christians in iran proclaiming testimonies on satellite tv i don't know if you're familiar with this story why don't you uh, fill us in a little bit what's going on there yeah it's interesting they said uh reza jafari host of the show said for quite some time before we started producing and broadcasting the program we were always trying to find a unique approach for the Christians, especially those residing inside the country, uh, for being their voice. Most of Christian TV programs available on satellite TV are either teaching programs or theological programs that are some sort of like a monologue, it huh. says. Uh, and so they started this show called The Signal to share their testimonies. It broadcasts in 25 countries across the Mideast and North Africa. Whoa. And uh, they talk to believers through Skype calls, pre-recorded interviews, or live calls. Many of these Christians are Muslim converts outside of Iran or believers who still live in the country. And I think this is a um, uh, – according to Open Doors, a nonprofit watch group, Iran is ranked as the ninth worst country in the world for right. Christian persecution. Right. But nonetheless, the number of Christians have grown in the country. And I think that's the take-home. And it's just a reminder of not only uh, the gospel spreading in – uh, in the midst of persecution, but also people to know that there are people out there doing some really dangerous work to get the gospel into places like Iran and other places in the Middle East and North Africa and around the world that uh, that are pretty fascinating going, hey, how can we leverage technology? How can we bring the message in? 
uh, and there it seems to be having a success. And here's a crazy stat, man. In 2016, Open Doors estimated 400,000 Christians lived in Iran. That right. number has likely doubled to 800,000 in the past three years. Yeah, so that's what an unbelievable crazy. statistic. Did you know any of that? No. I mean, before we started doing this show about the rapid growth in Iran? I did not. I did not at all. And somebody you and I had on, I forget totally who it was, made mention of that. And I remember being like, yeah, wow. Eric, Eric Metcalf. There's, there's like a re- revival going on in the midst of uh, – and we read this throughout the years all the way back to the book of Acts that uh, with great persecution often comes great revival. And it's one of the great um, paradoxes of the Christian faith that when there's comfort is often when, the, when things kind of uh, become lukewarm and settle. Uh, and we're seeing that in Iran right now, which is praise God. Yeah. Speaking of persecution, another story out of India from the Morningstar News. It says violence against Christians in India hit a new level on Tuesday, March 3rd, when Hindu extremists ran their motorcycles over a key evangelical leader after beating him. Oh. Uh, armed with bamboo rods and a thick metal chain with a heavy lock on it, the 10 Hindu nationalists in Sahore, Madhya Pradesh state beat Isaac Pelosi, 48, and then ran their five motorcycles over him, fracturing one of his ribs. Uh, Pelosi, an elder at the church and Madhya Pradesh coordinator of the New India Evangelistic Association, was attacked shortly after dropping his five-year-old son off at school that morning. Pelosi was in his car when a Hindu nationalist on a motorcycle stopped him and told him to get out. Unaware of his intentions and without a slight, uh, the slightest bit of suspicion, Isaac stepped out, Pastor Deep said. Suddenly, others joined the biker, and all of them began to beat Isaac with bamboo logs and a chain. Uh, the moment he stepped out of the car, the others joined in, and they began to beat him. Accusing him of converting people, they beat him with bamboo logs and a thick metal chain with a lock attached to the end. They scorned and ridiculed him, daring him to continue to convert people. So, again, this is obviously heartbreaking. But not just heartbreaking, so outside of my realm of experience or even possibility in my mind. Like, can you imagine if something like this happened in Chicago and the suburbs or even – anywhere in the United States at all. Like, not at all. It is such a, for me, and I don't I don't totally understand, I'm not quite sure why I thought it was important to do this story, but I think it is important for us to remember the, the kind of persecution that brothers and sisters are going through all across the globe all the time, things that most of us listening will have no experience in our entire lives, even close yeah. to this. I mean, it says they, they scorned and taunted him, but then they threatened to kill him if he continues to convert people. So right. there you're left, like if someone did that for to you, if they said, Ian, you know, I'm going to kill you if you keep preaching. That'd yeah. be a really hard choice to make. Like yeah. we, that's even hard to even fathom what that choice would be like. You've got a family and this and that. And so, uh, again, amazing persecution going on around the world. Yeah. So what do you what do you do with this then as a as a suburban pastor out in Chicagoland? You know, this is a question that we ask a lot when we do yep. stories like this. What do we? Is this just simply something that we should be informed of and say? Hey, our, our prayers are with you. Is there is there more? Is there something more uh, intentional, more intense that that we should be considering? It's a great question. I think it does uh, put in perspective um, our own lives. It also uh, drives us to prayer. I think to you know, as pastors who lead churches, I think it's a reminder that that just as you and I have said, man, before doing the show, I didn't really know about these right. things. Our people don't know about these things. So I think uh, trying to think, how do we remind? What what does that look like to to let our churches uh, understand this and feel this on some level. Uh, and I think it raises, again, uh, the idea of, um, you know, how am I living my life here? Even though I'm not getting faced with this persecution, right? you know, am I 
uh, standing up for the name of Jesus? Am I helping people understand who he is? Am, am I, or am I one who shrinks even to, you know, a little bit of ridicule, even if nothing like this guy's facing? I think it does cause you to look in the mirror and ask some questions. But the biggest thing I think is it really calls us as the Western church where we're not experiencing this sort of stuff. Yeah. I think it really calls us to, to not just knowledge, but also prayer. And I'm sure that it is happening in the United States in ways that maybe we're not totally aware it's of. Fair. I, I don't want to paint a picture like, Hey, no one in the United States is facing any kind of persecution at all. And certainly nothing like what I think it is still happening probably in much different ways. Uh, the article is up on our Facebook page, but at the very end of the article, there are two links um, for Morningstar news where you could actually help persecuted Christians worldwide. So you can donate, or find uh, mm. different aid agencies. So I would encourage you, you can go to Facebook, uh, the Common Good Radio Show, find this article about the uh, Christian leader that was run over by the motorcycles. And I think uh, at the very least, if you feel in any way compelled, um, these are really tangible ways that we can like be the big seed church, Absolutely. like to be the global uh, body of Christ in, uh, in a way that's really tangible and helpful. Well, speaking of being tangible and helpful, this next story is crazy that the headline says this these bikers escort child victims to court to confront their abusers it's a remarkable story and i think you're gonna be really challenged by it that's coming up next here on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life hey everyone welcome back to the common good my name is ian simpkins along with brian Fromm, also producer john i don't feel like you get enough credit there john he does not we <laughs> just does it john we love you I'm just doing my job over here. It's fine. Gosh, I wish that was your real voice. I was just about to tell people that's his real voice. It's awkward. I, I do a fake voice usually, but this is this is actually how I talk. So what is this character's name? Or well, is this just you? On? This might be the last time we enter him back no, into the show. I, I want more. Give me more. You Ta- want more talk to me as this character. Yeah, what do you like to do for fun, weird well, voice? I, usually I just I, I talk about knitted sweaters. And <laughs> this is going to go badly. I wash my car. How can this not go badly? I'm sorry. <laughs> what, is, what is a non-knitted sweater aren't all sweaters well uh, there's a certain upholstery that actually is is you that use a uh, um, a sort of um not a lathe but more of a uh, loom a loom it's not a it's not, it's not a, i can't no, keep please keep going you got you got nine more minutes <laughs> just fill the whole segment man you really don't have anything to say about this article no yeah, i'm okay. avoiding it at all costs no no <laughs> that was just so entertaining that i feel like people getting a real glimpse of producer John, what was <laughs> the, the what was the me. what was the song you just came up with, Brian, for our producer uh, from Billy Joel? Well, we people need to know that John's last name. John, what's your last name? Benedek. So the Billy Joel song, Benedek, Dek, 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 Dek. So that's song. Is that what it's called? Yeah, and my middle name is Alan. <laughs> no. Done. Oh <laughs> boy. Like that, that's kind what of do you mean by done? Actually. What's done? That is his song. Yeah. So how, how do we prophetic. do we ratify this somehow, or is there a? I don't know. It's a parody. Just you can do whatever you want. Could you write your own parody song, please, to that? <laughs> I no. I'm not gonna. You can. You can do it. I, I don't, okay. Pretentious. I'll have Alexa do it. I, I'll have like Alexa do it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we all know not that's not true. Yeah, right. we'll, have, we'll have her write a. Uh, goodness. Okay, we have derailed. Here's the. It's actually a, a really incredible story. So I don't know why we're avoiding it. Um, it's from, uh, so this is a, an article that John submitted. It's from tanksgoodnews.com. 
which is where I get all my news. Yep. Uh, here's the headline. These bikers escort child victims to court to confront their abusers and give the kids cool nicknames. What's going on here? Yeah, let me just read some of it. Okay. Bikers Against Child Abuse is an international nonprofit that recruits volunteer bikers as a system of support for kids who are the victims of family abuse. Wow. They've been around for 20 years, but are finally getting the recognition they deserve for the important support they provide. Uh, one of the things I've loved about this show is just because we're interacting with so many things is right. learning these organizations where you're like, I would have never thought no. an organization like that existed. And it's awesome. Yeah. And it's been around 20 years. That's yeah. amazing. So uh, BACA, as it's called, organizations are all over the world in places like New Zealand, Australia, Canada and the United States. Wow. They go through extensive background checks and training for handling sensitive situations. The bikers give the child their own BACA vest and adopt child friendly names such as Scooter and Pooh Bear. Oh, my God. They visit the child when requested, as well as standing watch if the child is afraid of their abuser stopping by the home. Wow. If a child is forced to give testimony of the their abuse in the court, the bikers will escort the child to the stand wow. and they do it all for free. So the group is a nonprofit and sometimes in necessary situations, the money comes out of their own pockets. Like the time they give five of them each put in a hundred dollars to take a teenage girl who'd been sexually abused to get new clothes and have her hair and nails done. Wow. The idea behind the group is that even kids know that nobody messes with bikers. Yeah. Just think about that for a yeah, second. What no a cool kidding. one. Their reputation is fearless and protective, translates to children who have been made to feel powerless and scared. In 1995, clinical social worker and professor John Paul Lilly came up with the idea. He'd been working with a young boy who was afraid to leave his house because of bullying. Lilly could relate. He was abused as a young boy, but he had something his client did not. Neighborhood bikers who befriended him. They became family, Lilly said. I just never felt more secure than when I was with them. With that knowledge, he came up with the idea of BACA. Bikers have a soft spot for kids, he said. I couldn't quote. I uh, couldn't quote you a figure, but I know that a lot of bikers have been abused as kids. When they mm. see a chance to step in and release some of their own demons, they have no problem standing up for a child. It was just such a natural fit. Mm. The biker image is what makes it work, uh, said back a volunteer Rembrandt. Uh, Golfers against child abuse doesn't have the same feel. The pink alligator shirt. I'm, I'm kind of mad about this as a golfer. The pink alligator shirt and golf shoes standing in the driveway doesn't do the same thing. <laughs> when we tell a child they don't have to be afraid, they believe us. Hmm. Another volunteer na- named Pipes says, "When we tell them we will be for their, we will be there for them. They believe us." What a cool organization! Yeah, no like, kidding. They're going, hey, we have a reputation of being tough guys, uh-huh. and we all get that as bikers, as, as bikers, not as personal bikers, as people who you know interact with bikers, whatever. There is that feel, and uh, and what um, an amazing uh, service they're providing. And I would never have thought of this. Like, who cares for the kids who have to testify against their abuser, or a year after they've gone through, or whatever else it might be? And these bikers go. We're going to step in and be there. What an awesome organization to the point that if you're a biker, uh, Bikers Against Child Abuse might be something for you to look into and, yeah, no uh, and see what it's all about. Is there a website that's Not listed? on this. Here, you, you, I will look it up. Can you just look up Bikers for, what's it called? Bikers, bikers against, against Child, child abuse. abuse. I'm going to look that up There's right now. There's something, and, I, and I'm not a golfer, so I wasn't nearly as offended by that. I but was there, offended. there is something, I think, really powerful even to the image of you know these like notoriously like big and tough people saying we're going to stand with the most vulnerable the most 
fearful the most you know there's yeah. just a, there's a powerful kind of gospel parallel there i think that like there's a reason stories like this resonate and i don't know why um like why why do you think it is that there there is such a a resonance even if you're not you know you don't consider yourself a christian or a jesus person at all like you hear a story like this and you think yeah more of this in the world please yeah, and first of all, let me point you to Baca, B-A-C-A, BacaWorld.org. You will find that is their website, well, BacaWorld.org. And we had uh, Randy Schuf on the show a couple yes. weeks ago, and he's got Motorcycle Sunday coming up. That's May 3rd. You can go yeah. to MotorcycleSunday.com. I would highly recommend that. I, I, I had never known so much about bikers until doing this show, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I would say you ask, why is this uh, something that we resonate with? Yeah, why is it like a bass note for us, like in our gut? We're like, oh, yeah, that's that's. Because we read so many bad stories. Mm. We read so many difficult stories that we want to believe that there's still good people out there. And, you know, it's not the good people who uh, who get the most press. And so when you read articles like this, you're just reminded that there are good people doing good things, standing up for the most marginalized. And I think that's also why we resonate with it as Christ followers. Our hearts, you know, as we take on more and more of Jesus's heart, our hearts are to break for the marginalized and break for the vulnerable and break for the the hurting. And what more vulnerable hurting um, person is there than an abused child? Right. Uh, And so to see these these tough, um, you know, we've got these caricatures of bikers to see them be the one stepping in in so many different places in our culture. But in this one in particular, I think is really powerful. Uh, by the way, as best I can tell, I'm on their website right now. The nearest chapter to us is the Fox Valley, Illinois chapter out of Romeoville. No kidding. Yep. So what would you say for someone that like not to throw both of us under the bus? Neither of us are like big, intimidating people. Well, speak for yourself. Okay. I am not a big, intimidating person in general. Like what encouragement or challenge would you give to someone that's like, well, I want to I want to stand up for this in the same way, but I'm not a biker. I don't have like an intimidating presence. Like what would you say to someone that doesn't fit sort of that mold? Yeah, I would say that that's just uh, one aspect of this. I would say first allow yourself uh, to first. Here's the first question I would have every person out there, especially all the Christ followers ask themselves, do I care to be part of somebody who stands up for the vulnerable and the marginalized? And then start to ask yourself, how am I wired? How is my personality, whatever, wired? So you and I are not, especially me, not a biker. uh, And nobody would ever come across me and be like, you a biker? Like, right? (laughs) Um, They would probably say, you a golfer? Yes, there you go. (laughs) But there certainly are ways for each and every one of us, if we slow down and think about our lives, to go, what are organizations that I would really resonate with? I could really help. I could really kind of move the ball forward. And if those don't exist, maybe start dreaming about what are organizations I could even start to dream about starting. Right. Um, and see how that goes. I mean, we had a 17-year-old girl here yesterday who started her own organization to, right. help with, right. to help fight sex trafficking. And so uh, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with like, I could never run an or Okay, just start dreaming and right. see what comes out. Well, and later in the week, too, we have uh, my buddy Chris Lash is going to be in the studio again talking about a project he's working on. You know what I found to be true, actually, is even though I'm not a biker at all, like stories like this inspire, motivate me to do the things that you're talking about, mm-hmm. even though they're not biker related at all. Something about seeing someone else step into their giftedness or step into the thing they're clearly wired yes. to do, even if it has nothing to do with how you're wired. Just watching people do it. And you're like, yes, 
more of that. And now I feel motivated to actually do the thing or launch the thing or start the thing or put pen to paper. And that's, that to me is the beauty of the whole thing. It's just the idea that like, yeah, maybe this isn't for your, you know, this isn't yours to do, but uh, maybe something else is. And I think, uh, I don't know, it's just a good story, a good reminder about what it means to stand with and stand for uh, the most marginalized and abused among us. And as Christ followers in particular, man, it is, it's just so important that we always kind of keep that at the forefront. Well, coming up next, here's the headline. And uh, as someone who's sort of a recent parent, I'm, I'm always really challenged by things like this. It says, parents, your kids need big theology. That's coming up next here mm-hmm. on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. We missed you. So glad you returned um, or stayed here. Mm-hmm. I guess they didn't necessarily go anywhere, did they? I think, I think it's more than likely. They just stayed here waiting for us. Oh, you think so? I think so. Just like staring longingly just at the like, radio I, or their phone. I'm just going to sit here. What else am I going to do? <laughs> now, your opinion of people's busyness, I think, is misguided. <laughs> or they're just sitting in traffic. Going, That's oh. also very possible. Yep. We have been known to have some traffic here in Chicago. That is right. It, it happens. That's your message today? Traffic. Traffic. Traffic happens. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if you're not driving, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And uh, you can also get us podcasted wherever it is you get podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that really does help us out, either on the podcast platform or on the Facebook page. If you've already done that, we're really, really appreciative for you who have. And if you haven't, Come on. Is that motivating? Yeah, it was motivating. Like if it were me, I'd be like, yes, I'm in. Uh, just come on. <laughs> John thought it was funny. He almost fell out of his chair over there. Are you, are you okay, John? Come on, guys. Ah, come on. <laughs> Have you ever been motivated to do anything from someone else going, come on. Yeah, right now, I'd be motivated. Right now. Would you be motivated to ask Alexa? I'm thinking, <laughs> no. Uh, no. We're not letting it go. until yeah. If you text me tonight, just come on. I'll, that will remind me to do it. I'm not. No, I'm not Hold reminding my hand in this, please. I will Hold not. my hand. All right, so before we dive into uh, parents and kids and the need for big theology, a quick word from Thrivent. And, uh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get emphatic on this one. So as a lot of you know, Thrivent is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit, and they've been serving their members for over 100 years. But if you're listening or if you're familiar with Thrivent, you can go to Thrivent.com to learn more about their mission and what they're about and giving back to the community and walking alongside people in their Wise with Money journey. Like They're just an incredible organization. But if you're interested in actually partnering with Thrivent, you want to be your own boss or you have some financial sense or like an entrepreneurial drive, uh, I cannot encourage you enough to go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers or just call 630 630- Five nine eight two one two eight, and tell them that Ian from the Common Good sent you. Mm-hmm. Do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell right. them that. What is going on with this? Uh, parents and kids need big theology. Article. So this is out of Core Christianity. Uh, CoreChristianity dot com says, "Parents, your kids need big theology." Uh, and so the author Jessica Robin Preventure uh, talks about how her and her husband, when they had their first ch- uh, daughter. Uh, their first child, they decided one of their traditions was they vowed to teach their child old classic hymns. So oh, interesting. Come thou fount of every blessing. It is well with my soul. There's a fountain filled with blood. And, and uh, hearing their child sing those songs, 
Uh, she writes, what we thought was simply an effort to keep our home free of bubbly children's songs <laughs> turned into one of the best decisions we made as young parents because we didn't quite understand how moldable our daughter would be or how easily she would absorb the words she heard and repeated day in and day out. Hmm. And so this goes in then to a bigger conversation about teaching your kids theology. She goes on to write, it's tempting to water down the language and truths we share with our children or to even wait until they're older to introduce big words of theology. Hmm. But the reality is that even if they don't fully understand now, they are capable of easily remembering the words they hear again and again, no matter how big they are. They said our daughter memorizing hymns is such a perfect example. Hmm. Does our three-year-old know what Ebenezer estate or ransom mean? No, of course not. But someday she will. And when she does, the words that have flowed through her little mind by means of hymns and scripture memory will begin to make sense and will remind her of the rich truths of the gospel. Whether you're teaching your child hymns, catechism, or scripture, don't hold back out of fear that they won't understand. And so uh, the rest of the article kind of goes into like, what are, uh, she gives three ways to kind of give our children deep theology. But before we get into the list, I'm curious You've got real little kids. What are your thoughts about what she's saying and, and what are the roadblocks to this? Well, I will admit some confirmation bias here because mm-hmm. I've I've felt this for a while, even before I had kids. And some of it might have to do with some disdain for child songs ah, right know, now. Little baby shark going around your house. A lot you're... of baby shark. And baby shark is fine, but it isn't saying anything. So the, the two headings before the list are don't water it down, but also don't overcomplicate it. Um, I'm challenged by both of those because mm. we do sometimes and this, you know, you and I were both youth pastors. One of the things I would often say as a student pastor is um, you guys are not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of right now. Mm. I'm going to I'm going to trust you with some difficult phrases, some hard to swallow truths, because I think that God is at, at as at work in your life as he is anywhere. And sometimes the temptation, even, you know, for high schoolers is like, let's dumb it down yeah. or make sure it's got yeah. hip language. I'm not saying don't contextualize, mm-hmm. but you know, even with our kids, I like the idea where she's saying, um, use words like atonement, justification, sanctification, let them grow into understanding the big truths of scripture by building a foundation that will shape and guide them. I mm-hmm. think that is such a good challenge to say, Hey, you probably don't know what this word means yet. But we're going to start talking about, it talk about it earlier rather than later. I just think that's a good challenge. Absolutely. So like you said, she says, don't overcomplicate it. While this might seem intimidating to the average mom or dad, teaching our children theology doesn't need to be complicated. You don't need a seminary degree or teaching credentials to teach your children about God's word. You don't need elaborate lesson plans complete with a snack craft and practical application. <laughs> While all of those are great, you can easily weave theology into your day-to-day lives. So number one, she writes, memorize scripture. The easiest way to begin teaching your children about theology is simply memorize scripture together. While there are endless amounts of beautiful scripture memory cards that you can purchase online if you'd like, all you really need is your Bible. Start th- start simple. Talk through a verse together at each meal and repeat it after at every meal together until they have it memorized. Does your child struggle with fear? Memorize Psalms about trusting in God. Is your child learning to pray on their own? Work through the Lord's Prayer together. Memorize verses with big words and big truths about the gospel, even if they don't understand now, because someday they will, and those words will be hidden in your heart. Whether it takes a day or a week to memorize each line, Keep on repeating and reviewing, and you'll be helping plant little seeds of truth deep in their hearts. I actually really love that. We had a professor at Judson, Dr. Curry, who uh, was in the psychology department, but part of 
getting a passing grade in his class is that he would teach us scripture songs and we had to actually like memorize these songs. And it was always so funny because the first or second day, everyone kind of giggled because they were like, they sound like little kid songs. I still remember you these still verses. Sing them. That's yeah. crazy. And he had like motions for some of them. And you know, you're like 20 and you're like too cool for this. You can feel a little uh, like oh, beneath you. But yeah. man, those like songs and those verses and those truths, you know, now a decade and a half later, uh, my hat's off to you, Dr. Curry, because those things have most certainly kind of stuck That's in my wild. brain. Number two, listen to good music. I don't know why I emphasized good and looked right at Brian Fromm. Um, <laughs> another simple way to introduce lessons and in theology into your daily life is through the music you listen to. Whether you choose classic hymns or theologically sound children's music, it's no secret that lyrics easily stick with you us. Just saying I was this. just talking about this yes. long after we turn off the music. While even the best hymns will never replace scripture, there are rich gospel truths beautifully woven into the lyrics that foster meaningful conversations as our little ones grow to understand the words. I will add a caveat. Some old hymns have terrible theology. It's true. It's not that every hymn has wonderful uh, doctrine within them. I'll never forget the day my husband started teaching our daughters the old hymn, There is a, fount- a Fountain Filled with Blood. I was minding my own business when she came running into the room and proudly announced to me, There's a Fountain Filled with Blood, Mama. As you can imagine, I just about spit my coffee everywhere, half in shock and half laughing. She has no idea how beautiful that truth is, but in time, she will. Instead of playing that soundtrack for the 17th time, choose a, a playlist of songs filled with rich scripture truth of few times a week. Some of our favorites are Getty Music, Chris Rice's Peace Like a River album, both of J.J. Heller's I Dream of You and Ellie Holcomb's Holcomb's Sing Creation Songs. Those are good suggestions. Yeah. Number three, read together. A final way to start talking about theology with your children is through books you read together. We are so blessed to live in a time with so many different children's resources full of gospel truth being produced each year. From board books to picture books to reference books, there are so many theologically sound resources available for all age ranges to start talking about theology with your children. It's likely you already spend time reading with your children, so add a few more books that introduce big theological themes to your library and begin discussing big truths with even uh, your littlest ones. And I, I just appreciate this article. It just is saying uh, it's it's not rocket science. It's just hard. And yeah, it's our job to pass it on. So what do you guys do? Is there anything, any practices in here that's sort of like central to the parenting of the Fromm household? not. These, these articles make me feel guilty. But they also, <laughs> uh, you know, my kids are of that age where, we're, where we are so busy, but they are also able to have just honest conversations. And so yeah, I think right. there's a lot more of that. But I do get... Certainly get, um, you know, your kids are never too old to be like, hey, let's start memorizing scripture together. Let's read a book together. So these do challenge me and are, are things that I think even at my kid's age, we could start incorporating. Yeah. And I have a, a buddy, Matthew Turner. He wrote a book called When God Made the World. I don't know, man. I feel super fortunate to have a couple of mm-hmm. friends who have written children's books that I think are just phenomenal. So it's a double whammy for me. I get to like support a friend and yeah. what they're doing. And it's children's books with really rich, interesting theology. And I think even because I went a little over two, so he's starting to repeat some stuff yep. back. And I'm like, oh, man, he is absorbing this stuff. And to be more intentional in you know what we're kind of filling our home with has yeah. been a really, really good challenge. Well, we're almost ready to land the plane. Coming up next, some interweb insanity, stories we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. That's how we end the show each and every day here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here, and after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization
organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. All right, friends, that music can mean one thing and one thing only. It is the end of the show. Some of you are breathing sighs of relief. (laughs) Others of you are yelling at radio. No, give me more. Well, maybe not that. I mean, you guys tried your best. I wonder how many people are listening going, they tried today. They gave gave their best shot. (laughs) Uh, Yes. You think that's possible? I think so. I, I picture people giving us virtual pets on the back. Like, good effort. Better luck next time. <laughs> a, a for effort. Anywho, at the end of the show, we uh, we share some stories that our producers have selected for us. We have not read them. Uh, we have not heard the sound effects that accompany them. And we go into this segment with the same amount of terror and fear that all of you do listening at home. And Brian Fromm is going to pick us up. I am. Wait, which one do you have first? I think I mixed them up. San Antonio, Texas. That is not the first one. Michigan. <laughs> Michigan. How did you screw this up? I don't know. They were all turning different ways. Ancient sword of the meth king seized by Michigan police. Oh, boy. A Michigan photo police... is amazing, by it the way. It is good. That's a, quite the sword. Wow. A Michigan police department has announced the seizure of the ancient sword of the meth king. The Bath Township Police Department posted a photo of the tooth blade last week on Facebook. In the early morning of January 27th, officers conducted a traffic stop. A subsequent search located a very odd combination of illegally possessed weapons as well as methamphetamine. Methamphetamine. They tagged Shocker. the seizure a new high point. Lord of the Rings meets John Wick, an ancient sword of the meth king. Now, as I was saying, uh, drugs are bad, okay? Kind of wish you had said a Lord of the Wings. I started that. You, you were on it your was way. John Wick with Lord of the Rings, and it was coming out Lord of the Wings. <laughs> Do you think anyone has a uh, a like a Buffalo Wild Wings type restaurant called Lord of the Wings? They should now. Like a Tolkien themed wing establishment. <laughs> Tell me you wouldn't go at least once. <laughs> I would go at least wings once. and rings. Oh, that probably is a thing. Onion rings. No, I think it's got to be Lord of the Wings. Lord of the Wings is That's better it. though. You're That's right. It. Yeah. What would be like the signature sauce? Though. My precious. <laughs> you don't even get that, that reference. You, a... you don't even know what that means, do you? <laughs> I knew that you had an answer to your question. Though. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I actually didn't. That was uh, that was real-time brainstorming. Oregon. Police in Oregon say a man robbed a donut shop with a hatchet. He was found eating a donut. I mean, Simpsons donut. That's, what's coming. Uh, that's the uh, prediction? Okay. Yeah, mm, donut. I'm going with it. <laughs> Police in Oregon arrested a man on Saturday after he allegedly robbed a donut shop with a hatchet left with a box of donuts, and stopped a short distance away to eat one of the treats. While officers were responding to what originally was called a disturbance with an axe, the suspect identified as Christopher L. James left the donut shop on foot. Officers found James about a block away. (laughs) What are you doing, man? Eating a donut and holding a pink box from the donut shop. 
James ran and was captured by about two blocks from where the police found him, according to Portland Police Bureau. So you like donuts, eh? Uh-huh. Well, have all the donuts in the world! <laughs> that was terrifying. That was scary. It I happened at Voodoo done. Donuts, by the way. I don't know if you've ever been to Voodoo. I've never been to Voodoo. Incredible. Is that right? Oh, my God. Where's the closest one to here? Like uh, Chicago? I can lay I will not be going anytime soon. <laughs> I understand. The UK, an easy jet plane was forced to turn back twice because of drunk passengers. Oh, my gosh. An easy jet flight from Manchester to Alicante in Spain uh, was forced to return to its stand twice because of rowdy behavior by passengers. Two separate groups of passengers were involved in Thursday's incident, which linked the delay to the consumption of alcohol. We're aware that some passengers were drinking their own alcohol on board and prior to flight in the terminal. Police met the aircraft to remove the passengers before it continued to Alicante. Uh, it eventually landed in Spain three and a half hours behind schedule. Oh, gosh. Newsflash. You can't drink and then come to work. You're not airline pilots. Yeah, we could have seen that one come. We I, should start predicting all of them. I know. Did I tell you the story when we went to Mexico and there's people, like, I would say a third of the plane was flying down together for a wedding. Oh, boy. And it was a 7 a.m. flight on a Saturday. Oh, boy. And uh, the 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 uh, stewardesses and they were the flight attendants flight were right attendants. by us. Yeah. That's what it is now. They were right by us at one point, and we overheard them say they were cutting off all alcohol like halfway through the flight because they were empty. What? Yeah. It was a 7 a.m. flight? 7 a.m. flight. Boy, that is... I have never partied like that. Never. Uh, Texas, full share teenager takes down nearly 400-pound feral hog terrorizing Texas ranch. This is a terrifying photo. With permission from the landowner, people can hunt hogs on private property with a license thanks to a new state law, according to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Departure Departure Department. In a TPWD guide, a feral, uh, feral hogs are considered unprotected, exotic, non-game animals and may be taken by any means or methods at any time. TPWD estimates there are currently 1.5 million feral hogs in Texas. Wow. On a recent trip to a ranch in Columbus, Nee said he just happened to bring his 13-year-old son, Scout. That's the perfect name for somebody to accomplish this. (laughs) Along for the ride. The pair encountered one of the biggest feral hogs Nee had seen in his 15 years of hunting, a nearly 400-pound pig. With a quick, clean shot, Nee said Scout took down the massive beast, answering the ranch's prayers. Mama! Nothing pig got in the house. Nothing pig. Give me that shovel. Come here. Get him off. Get that guy. What? Well done, John. Well done. That's terrifying. Last one's also out of Texas. San Antonio woman's bag of hot Cheetos filled with regular Cheetos instead. (laughs) Imagine getting a flaming hot Cheetos craving, securing a bag for yourself, only to open it and find regular Cheetos. Oh, that cheated Cheeto feeling is what happened to Ashley Garcia last week. She said she bought the bag from a vending machine at her job last Tuesday for $1.25. After shaking the bag up some, hoping to find the red dust that makes the spicy version of the chip so great, Garcia realized the heartbreaking truth that her package was incorrectly filled. I'll sue you. I'll take all your money. I'll sue you. If you even look at me funny. I'll sue you. I'll take all your money. I'll sue I think that's a Weird Al, isn't it? I don't know, but yeah. that, it, it seems like a song he would do. That sure sounds like Weird Al. What a wow! What an intense note to end on. It really was. <laughs> if, uh, if you like hard-hitting news like the one that Brian just read, join us tomorrow from <laughs> four to six p.m. and every Monday through Friday here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty.